Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. You can read my column on the presidential race in The Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack, all one word, dot com front slash Brad-Bannon. My most recent contribution to the Hill is my take on the impact of the impeachment inquiry on the 2020 election. The Ukraine scandal is also the subject of today's show. My company, Bannon Communications Research, pulls for and designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. My thanks to executive producer Mark Grimaldi, who keeps me in line and make sure the trains run on time. Today we'll discuss uh, the uh, impeachment inquiry and its impact on the 2020 presidential election. Our guest in this half hour is John Bennett, the senior White House correspondent for Roll Call. Democratic strategist Tim Zink joins our own Mark Grimaldi for the provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today uh, on the show. Inquiring minds want to know, what was the worst part of Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president? 
hit Trump's willingness to sacrifice to Ukraine to the tender mercies of his BFF Vladimir Putin, Trump's attempt to ask the Ukraine to interfere in the 2020 uh, presidential election, or Trump's attempt to cover up the call. Two, is there any chance that the Senate will vote to remove Trump from office? We can only hope. Three, what impact will the scandal have on the Democratic presidential race? That, of course, is the theme to the West Wing, which is the White House most Americans uh, would prefer to have these days. Our guest in this half hour is senior White House correspondent for Roll Call, John Bennett. John, how are you doing today? Uh, hanging in there, Brad. How about you? Oh, just fine. You must be a very busy man these days. Uh, I can say the last time, the last two and a half years have, have really been something. They've been frenetic and chaotic and and, and fast-paced. Uh, last week was one for the ages, uh, one for the re- record books. Um, it was just one thing after another. Really, after maybe uh, Monday afternoon, things picked up and and all week it was just uh, nonstop action. Yeah, well, I do. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show today. Okay, uh, let's start with this. Uh, since the uh, Speaker Pelosi announced the uh, uh, beginning of the impeachment inquiry last week, it seems to me that the White House response has been very disjointed, uh, and the president. Um, is uh, himself seems kind of uh, way out there and uh, just tweeting his mad little mind off. Uh, I understand that the president is unhappy with his response to the announcement or the White House uh, in response to the uh, inquiry. Uh, Are heads going to roll in the White House soon? You know, heads uh, seem to roll around here, don't they, when the president isn't happy uh, with messaging, and especially with, with how that messaging is being covered on especially cable news. So we haven't seen really uh, any heads roll except Kurt Volker, who was the uh, special envoy uh, to Ukraine. But so far, uh, that's it. Uh, you, can't, you can't rule that out around here. Already there's some scuttlebutt around town about uh, Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, President Not Crazy, uh, if you believe the reports. Uh, kind of about the strategy and the messaging, and uh, but that's been a rumor that's been out there. But this is the kind of thing that certainly uh, could could force the president. Who there, there's plenty of evidence to suggest uh, the president is not happy. There's evidence to suggest he's a little panicked by by the impeachment inquiry, and that is the kind of thing that that any president, but especially one this impulsive, uh, could could look around and and have someone else in mind that could that he thinks is a better strategist, uh, and he may replace someone like, like a Mick Mulvaney. Um, but, but as of right now, we, ha- we just haven't seen that. But, but you do get the sense, like you said, with the president's tweets, um, that he is very upset right now. Um, you know, even retweeting uh, a, a conservative commentator's comment about, you know, impeachment could trigger a civil war. And the president sharing that with his you know, tens of millions of Twitter followers. And, of course, that goes straight to cable news. It goes on the front page. 
So we are we are in some choppy water right now. Now I read one press report. I'll ask you whether you think it was true or not. Uh, that just before the speaker uh, went on TV to announce the beginning of the inquiry, uh, the president called her and tried to talk her out of it. Uh, Is that true? And if it was, what did he say to try to stop her? I think it's true. I I, I can't reveal uh, some of the sources involved in describing uh, describing that that phone call, but uh, those sources have have been accurate in my experience of, of interacting with with some of these individuals for for man five seven years now so so my professional opinion is is that did happen uh, and what the president said it, it was a call to talk about um, background checks or some kind of of at least ostensibly gun legislation to try to prevent additional mass shootings and according to to these sources, um, as the president and Speaker Pelosi were discussing that, the president just abruptly changed the subject and in so many words said uh, to to the speaker, let's see if we can find a way uh, to avoid this in, impeachment saga. Let, let's try to find a way out of this. Um, of course, they didn't resolve anything. Uh, but but yeah, and that is the kind of thing the president that, that is certainly on brand, as they say, the president will abruptly change uh his his subject in a the same sentence in a speech or the same sentence at a rally or when he's speaking off the cuff on the south lawn um, if there's something on his mind he's got to talk about it now uh the uh you mentioned the initial subject of the call was to talk about uh gun registration uh does this uh do, do last week's events uh the impeachment inquiry uh, and any hope there is going to be any cooperation uh, between the White House and the House of Representatives on gun control legislation? I think so. And I, I think yeah. it was already headed headed down a path to nowhere before Speaker Pelosi decided, as she said, that the president uh, left House Democrats with no choice but to move ahead on impeachment. Uh, there just there was there has never been any public acknowledgement on background checks or, or anything related to gun legislation, substantive-wise, there's been no consensus out in the public about, you know, they agree on more than one or two minor things, and they're not going to move any kind of legislation with one or two minor things. Both sides have to, to get something they think is at least somewhat meaty, maybe not the whole burger, but, you know, they're, they're going to have to split a burger here to get something across the finish line. And, you know, there just is no deal right now on, on background checks or anything gun-related um, to be had, and that's before impeachment. And now you've got all this ill will and, 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 and all this you know, electricity in the water, and I just don't see how they're, how they're going to come up with anything. And they don't have that many legislative days left this year. And then when you get back next year, you've got an, it's, it's an election cycle in full swing. Maybe or maybe not the House votes on articles of impeachment before the holidays, um, legal experts I've talked to and and and, and read up and read quoted in, in other publications, you know, they say that voting before Thanksgiving, really voting before Christmas, is a tall task. Even though that's what the, the speaker and others have talked about, but they just don't have a lot of time. And you get back after the holidays, and you could have an impeachment vote, and then it's 2020. It's just all about the election. 
Our guest in this half hour is senior White House correspondent for Roll Call, John Bennett. Uh, we're going to go to break now. We come back, we'll discuss the <coughs> mood in the White House. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Of things you really think the American people are like, wait a minute. So Rudy Giuliani, the president's private lawyer, had a conversation. I think that you came you know here and leveled a bunch of accusations and allegations about, I didn't level about, I about Hunter Biden. I didn't level, I just said the facts. He didn't get paid fifty thousand a month. He was paid by a foreign company. Yeah. He was paid by Burisma. But Joe Biden was trying to get a, a, a prosecutor who was not pursuing corruption fired. And it was it's supported. It's amazing the it was gymnastics su- you guys will go through to defend what the, you Sir, really it's think. Not the vice gymnastics, pres- the vice it's pres- facts. The vice president and I would of the think States- somebody who's been accused of things in the last year or two would be more sensitive about throwing out wild allegations. I'm not throwing people. out wild. Like, I'm throwing out the facts. You're, you're, uh, the the, what, the what? prosecutor was not pursuing corruption. That's why the entire West wanted him fired, including anti-corruption activists in Ukraine. I don't understand what you don't get about that. What the Bidens in a minute, but I've asked you a specific question. I'd like a specific answer. The president has the State Department. He's got the CIA. He's got the Pentagon. He's got a number of other agencies. Why did he use three private lawyers to get information on Biden from the uh, from the Ukrainian government rather than go through all of the agencies of his government? Two different points. Number one. Uh, how about John, answering my question? John Durham. As you know, I, I, wait a minute. John Durham is investigating something completely different. Uh, Stephen, I'm asking you a direct question. Why did the president use private attorneys rather than go to the State Department? If you don't know, that's an acceptable answer. But let's not talk about John Durham, who's investigating the Trump investigation. There's two issues that were brought up. I'm on not the asking phone call. two issues. Why did the, he do it, Chris? I understand. I understand that you have your question. I have my answer. There's two issues that were brought up on the it, phone call. You have your non-answer you, at this point. What do you make of this exchange? President Zelensky says we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. And President Trump replies, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Well, you just added another word. No, it's you said, in I'd the like transcript. you to do a favor, though. Yes, it's he, in the, he, it's in when the I read White the tra- House transcript. When I read the transcript, President Zelensky brings up a javelin is a protection for anti-tank. That President Trump did to protect Ukraine. How do you expect the president's defense to roll out going forward? The defense of what? Well, there's an impeachment inquiry. Yeah, there's an impeach inquiry going forward. It probably never would move forward had the speaker waited 48 hours to have the transcript. Mr. Leader, with great respect to you, and I apologize for interrupting, but these are the White House talking points that were emailed to the Congress earlier this week. And I am asking you, was it appropriate for the president to ask for investigations of his Democratic rivals with another foreign leader? The president did nothing in this phone call that's impeachable. Okay, our uh, guest in this half hour is uh, Roll Call Senior White House Correspondent John Bennett. Uh, John, uh, what is my sense is that so far the White House strategy to fight impeachment is to basically trash Hunter Biden 
uh, is is that pretty much it, or do they have a more comprehensive uh, strategy for dealing with uh, w- with the impeachment inquiry? It's not just Hunter Biden. It's Joe Biden. It's Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House uh, Intelligence Committee, who Speaker Pelosi has put in charge of the in- impeachment inquiry. Um, it's it's Jerry Nadler, who's the somewhat sidelined but still involved a chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, and others involved here. Uh, notably, the president has kind of laid off the speaker uh, the last three or four or five days. Um, I think that's a sign of respect that uh, that he views her as have probably his, his toughest competitor here in Washington. But And it's also to discredit uh, the whistleblower. Uh, the president just said in the Oval Office it was an unplanned, uh, well, it was a planned event, to swear in uh, the new Labor Secretary, Eugene Scalia, uh, but the president called for the day's press pool, and he took a question. Uh, He says he's looking for the whistleblower, wants to know who it is. That follows a tweet where he said he wants to meet the whistleblower. That's not how federal whistleblower protection law works. I'm not sure the president's very concerned about that. I'm not sure uh, how intensively they're looking for the whistleblower. Of course, they never found that author of the anonymous op-ed that was not very flattering to the president either. But it's just to discredit everything and everyone involved while denying you did anything wrong. And, you know, the, the implication here, just like there was an implication with incoming President Zelensky of, of Ukraine that that, that those Javelin uh, anti-tank missiles that he won, that he said that they wanted to buy additional models of, uh, the president did imply, and, and this is according to a White House summary of the call, and it's pretty clear, uh, the president did imply that you know you do this you do this thing for me, which would be uh, reopen or open an investigation of the Biden, and you can have all the javelin systems you want. Uh, that's pretty clear in the White House's own summary. Again, it's not a verbatim call. They put that together. This was Trump's staff who pieced that together. It aligns very closely, despite what the president says, with the whistleblower's complaint. Um, but but what the White House is doing, they even are trying in certain ways, and, and their surrogates like uh, Leader McCarthy there that you played, trying to discredit their own, tra- or not transcript, they're trying to discredit their own summary of the call. So it's really just, uh, it's really just, um, uh, you know, just try to really tear down everything and everyone involved here, um, make everything seem not credible, and, and hope the public goes along with them. Uh, but the first you know, the first poll. John, uh, thank you very much. Uh, sadly, we've run out of time. Uh, I hope you can come back and join us at some point because I'm sure this is an issue that we're going to have plenty of time to talk about. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our provocative progressive political panel after these messages. President, the news has been moving on us like a bitch. Um, A lot of people are celebrating because Donald Trump is in serious trouble, but Trump has shown over and over again that when he's cornered, he will fight like the rabid weasel that lives on his head. (laughs) 
And Republicans have shown they'll go along with whatever he does, no matter what. And whoever blew this whistle does not mince words, stating very plainly that I have received information from multiple U.S. government officials that the President of the United States is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 U.S. election. Soliciting interference from a foreign power to influence a U.S. election. Well, you know what they say. If at first you do succeed, try, try that again. <laughs> you can't say Trump didn't warn us. Remember this exchange from June? Your campaign this time around, if foreigners, if Russia, if China, if someone else offers you information on an opponent, should they accept it or should they call the FBI? I think maybe you do both. I think you might want to listen. I don't, there's nothing wrong with listening. There's nothing wrong with listening. Unless you're listening to that phone call I had with the Ukrainian president, because what phone call? <laughs> the whistleblower's main concern was Trump's uh, phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. But they were also concerned about what happened after that call. In the days following the phone call, I learned from multiple U.S. officials that senior White House officials had intervened to lock down all records of the phone call. This set of actions underscored to me that White House officials understood the gravity of what had transpired in the call. In other words, White House officials tried to move records of President Trump's efforts to press Ukraine for dirt on Joe Biden to a different computer server. Is everything Trump accuses someone else of something he's done? Innocent people do not do things like this. That's why people hide their porn on their computer in files labeled vacation pics. (laughs) Trump reacted to his bad news day the way he always does, thumbs first, tweet screaming, the Democrats are trying to destroy the Republican Party and all that it stands for. But you beat him to it. (laughs) And... He who whistled blue says that he learned of Trump's abuse of power from multiple concerned administration officials. Trump jumped on that this morning at the U.N. Who's the person who gave the whistleblower the information? Because that's close to a spy. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart? So, so he's saying it would be better if uh, whichever White House insider revealed his crimes were dead. Okay, those late night comics uh, have their take on a situation that's likely to provide fodder for them for months on end. Welcome back. When news breaks, we fix it here on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. As usual on our second half hour, it's time for our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest panelist today is Tim Zink, is a principal at Molecule, a public affairs and business company. Tim has spent his distinguished career shaping public policy and politics. Joining Tim on the panel, as usual, is our own executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. If you want to be part of the roundtable and talk directly to me and our panelists, call us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Okay, let's start with this panel. 
In your opinion, what was the worst part of Donald Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president? Was it the president's willingness to sacrifice the Ukraine to the tender mercies of his BFF, Vladimir Putin? Was it his attempt to ask the Ukraine to interfere in the 2020 uh, presidential election here in the United States? Or was it Trump's attempt to cover up the call? Uh, Tim, you can have a go at this. What was the worst part to you? Well, that's not a very difficult question, but i got to say, Brad, that I think the most obnoxious thing that was said by the president during uh, that, that, that phone call um, with Ukraine was uh, clearly the president's attempt to uh, corrupt our U.S. elections with uh, support and help from a foreign, a foreign government, which our founders— uh, have spoke about in multiple constitutional conventions as one of the most important threats they saw uh, foreign intervention in our government. Uh, uh, and uh, as they as they uh, debated the discussion around the uh, uh, you know the impeachment clause within the Constitution, that was the issue and the topic of the day. So to me, that is the issue. Okay, uh, Mark, you want to take a shot at this? You know, I, I think it's uh, it's a tough either or to me also because of the fact, you know, just because I think Tim brings up some good points about the, the foreign interference, I'll, I'll just comment on the other end of that, which is, you know, Ukraine's fighting f- for their lives, for their country's lives, and these uh, Javelin uh, missiles are to protect them against the insurgent forces from Russia. So basically... You know, what Trump is doing there is saying, well, if you want to keep your people alive, then you're going to open this investigation into my political opponent. So, I mean, he could care less that he's using the leverage he has against people's lives and this new president protecting the lives of his people. So I I think it's just about as dangerous and um, just as sick it just de- demented. I, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, that that's what this makes me think of, that this that he would do this, you know, to another country. And clearly, based on, you know, his that's their own readout of the transcript. He hasn't taught. There's been no talk about, like, why that part of it is wrong, that you're putting these people's lives at risk in order to score political points. Because you know what? He does it all the time. He does it with the child uh, migrants that who have died in uh, custody of his government officials, his ICE officials. They just tried to change the Flores law so you could keep them in these, uh, you know, refrigerators with no blankets indefinitely without their parents. So it, it's it's just not even surprising anymore. You know, to me, this whole uh, incident, uh, it's not surprising it such, had such an impact and pushed Speaker Pelosi over the edge. Uh, for one thing is... This whole, uh, the call, which basically says the president's willing to sacrifice the Ukraine to his, uh, to the tender mercies of his buddy Vlad, uh, you know, conjures up the whole Russian thing again and the uh, Russian interference in the 2016 election. And then it's quite clear that the White House tried to cover up the phone call by burying the transcript in the bureaucracy, and that conjures up Watergate for me. Now, it looks to me there has been some uh, 
uptick since uh, the Speaker made her announcement last week. There has been uptick in support for impeachment. Uh, last June, The Hill, for which I write, did a poll that showed only 35% of the uh, American public supported impeachment. Uh, they did a poll uh, late in the week after the uh, Speaker's announcement, and support for impeachment had jumped up to 47%, where it was 47% in favor, 42 opposed, and the rest undecided. Tim, does that uh, number surprise you in any way, or is that about what you expected? I, I think that's a very leading trend. I think that uh, trend continues to expand as the Congress uh, does its diligence on exactly what was said. The drip, drip, drip out of the White House, the leaks, uh, Bolton on the road. Uh, I guess he gave his uh, first uh, public talk uh, either this morning or, uh, yeah, this morning in D.C. Um, I, 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 and uh, and then other, other former administration officials, officials who are beginning to now just talk. Uh, I think you'll continue to see uh, those numbers uh, work against the president. I think I was I happened to be in Washington last week and uh, when this was all going down uh, uh, and uh, could feel the change in the attitude uh, in Congress after speaking before and after with a a number of Democratic members. Uh, You know, the battle lines have now been drawn uh, and the message, most importantly, Brad, as you know, the message is very clear and understandable versus that which was left uh, for the Congress to deal with by the Mueller report. So we have a, a set of circumstances where people, the public really understands uh, the, the legality and the uh, mob-style behavior associated with the president's discussions. Uh, and I think it all works against him. And so I think you would see a growing trend of these, these numbers continuing to work against, in, uh, against the favor of the president. Okay, uh, the most troubling thing, I think, about this poll for the president is that the uh, increase in support for impeachment was largely driven by independents, where the number of independents who said they favored impeachment uh, doubled uh, going back to June, all the way up to 20% to 41%. And if the independents start uh, heading in that direction, it's going to be really tough uh, for the president to defend himself. We're going to break now, but when we get back from our break, we will return to our provocative progressive political panel uh, with uh, Democratic strategist Tim Zink and our own Mark Grimaldi. Stay tuned. There's a lot more discussion coming up after these messages. We're back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. And as usual in the second half hour, we have our provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today uh, are Tim Zink with with Molecule and our own executive producer and political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Let's uh, try this question, gentlemen. Uh... 
to uh, remove the president from office, you need 67 <coughs> votes in the Senate. Uh, there are 46 Democrats in the Senate, which means to remove Donald Trump from office, which I would great, greatly love to see, uh, we need to get 21 Republican senators uh, to vote yay. So the question is, is there any chance in the world the Senate will actually vote to remove Trump? Tim? Well, any chance in the world that uh, that members of the United States Senate on the Republican side see the light of day on the corruption and the impact that the president of the United States is having on the U.S. Constitution. He's making mockery of it. So I think the, I think the answer to the question is, I think it depends on how well uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives uh, uh, pursue their impeachment proceeding uh, and reveal information that meets the very high uh, uh, standard for impeachment. If Democrats are able to do that and keep partisanship to a minimum and focus on the issue at hand, the fact that high crimes and misdemeanors are what is the subject matter rather than the politics of this, it's a possibility. Um, but I don't think we're going to know that until we begin to prosecute this case. Mark, what do you think? I think that uh, Tim, you know, hit the nail on the head. I think that obviously it's a heavier lift than usual because of how hyperpartisan um, the Republican Party has become and how they've tied themselves, you know, at the waist to Trump pretty much no matter what he said or done. And anybody who questioned him has either retired, uh, you know, like Jeff Flake um, or Lamar or um, – Oh, I, I can't think of the other guy whose name I'm thinking of. Um, but, you know, they Bob have Corker from Bob Tennessee. Corker. Thank you. Yes, Bob Corker. Corker yeah. uh, you know, they've either retired or, you know, they've lost like Mark Sanford. So I think that his Republican Party today is more tied to him than most uh, parties in the past to their president in power. However, I think if it's such a, an obvious um, piece of evidence, you know, which I think this Ukraine call is in a lot of ways, but. There could be more, especially if there's other calls on the server that like they're said to be in the whistleblower complaint, like calls between Trump and Putin or calls between Trump and MBS. I mean, I think that there's a distinct possibility that these could be, you know, obtained uh, through the impeachment process or they may discover that they've been, you know, attempted to be destroyed or something else. You know, the cover up may be the most obvious glaring thing and it may, you know, lead to impeachment itself. Um, although I wonder, you know, what will be very interesting is if it goes down that road. I think that Trump knows once he does not have the protection of the Oval Office, he can be prosecuted. And I think he will be prosecuted. I mean, Robert Mueller alluded to it in his last testimony uh, on the Hill. Um, so I think that if the Republicans try to pressure him behind the scenes like was done with Nixon to resign, I don't think he will. I think he would make them take the vote. And I think they would be hesitant to do it in some ways because they're so afraid of how dedicated Republican voters are to Trump and Trumpism these days. So um, I, I hope it gets to that point because I, I'm sure that there's evidence out there. It's it's going to be up to the Democrats, like Tim said, to find it and then to present it in the um, the most effective way possible. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you. I think uh, there's 
probably no Nixon exit here, uh, the President Trump will face all sorts of criminal prosecution once he is not President of the United States. So he'll fight like a cornered, wounded animal to stay in the White House, uh, even if it means taking his party down with him, which he might very well do. Uh, you know, be interesting. There are probably four or five Republican senators up for re-election into next year who are in some degree of trouble. Uh, Tom Tillis from uh, North Carolina, uh, Susan Collins from Maine, uh, Corey Gardner from Colorado, and uh, I'm missing someone, uh, but it seems to me, if nothing else, uh, voting on impeachment will put them in the position of either defending the president or uh, paying the price to the constituents as they uh, run for re-election next year. So uh, it will be interesting uh, to see how this turns out. Well, let's move to another question. Uh, how will, what impact uh, will this scandal and the impeachment inquiry have on the fortunes of uh, the former Vice President Joe Biden? Uh, on one hand, uh, the Trump administration certainly uh, is making his, this all started uh, with the uh, attacks on Joe Biden's son, Hunter. And it seems to me on one hand, uh, this might uh, be, could be an assistance to Joe Biden's flagging presidential campaign. And it is flagging, too, from looking at the Democratic polls, uh, because it elevates him as Trump's target above all the other Democrats. It also allows him, you know, basically to play the role of sympathetic father. Uh, look how low Donald Trump has got. The only way he feels he can stop me is to go after my my son. But uh, if this thing drags on, as it probably will, and the attacks continue on Hunter Biden, uh, could it be a problem for Joe Biden? Uh, Tim? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, uh, Brad. And, um, you know, I would say from my perspective, I think Democrats, uh, just given the personality of Vice President Biden, I think Democrats rally around him um, in a way they wouldn't absent this controversy. I think uh, what remains to be seen is how uh, other Democrats treat the uh, I guess political opportunity to uh, draw a wedge between uh, uh, the vice president and uh, and the issue related to Hunter Biden and whether or not they choose to elevate that. I think that's an extremely risky strategy on other Democrats' part. Um, I hope they don't do that because I think that falls into the hands of of you know of the conspiring president that we have. And will be leveraged against him. So, um, you know, you know, the answer is I think Democrats rally around the vice president, but uh, there is this outstanding issue of whether or not, uh, even though it's been proven not to be factual or have any factual basis, of whether or not Democrats will try to, you know, raise some concerns as a way to elevate their own their own campaign. Okay. Tim, thank you, but sadly we're out of time. Uh, I want to thank today's guest. Uh, that would be John Bennett from Roll Call, 
Tim Zink from Molecule and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, that's it for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, I'm here every Monday at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.